0: D20 Radio, where gamers roll. www.d20radio.com. Thought for the day: life is the emperor's currency. Spend it well. Hello Pirates, and we're going to episode 74 of the Grimdart Podcast. This is James. And this is Mike. If you join us for the first time, we're a podcast devoted to role-playing in the 41st millennium, using the gaming systems created by Fantasy Flight Games up until now, and maybe something else in the future, but we'll we'll stick with what we know for the moment. Yep. Uh, Each episode we cover a different game system, and today we'll be covering Black Crusade. Uh, But before we do that, let's have a quick chat about what we've been doing in our sort of recent Fortnite in gaming, or since we last recorded the show. So, just when we recorded last show, I was just about to go to the SidCon role-playing convention in, uh, in Sydney, uh, where I ran Night Witches. So, Night Witches is the game system by Jason Morningstar, who's also the creator of Fiasco. Um, it uses the Apocalypse World engine, uh, so pretty simple mechanic. Uh, it's a, a very easy-to-learn, sort of, I guess, narrative-driven game. So, one where you... effectively, the players and the GM are working together to create an ongoing story... There are certain elements like the GM never rolls dice. It's always down to the players to roll dice. And the GM presents, uh, I guess, alternates or options, and the players choose which consequence they want, and and then they they weave the narrative to actually deliver that. Mm -hmm. And and because I was running six sessions at the con, and uh, so the game follows the progression of the latter part of the Second World War, basically from the formation of the 588th Night Bomber Regiment in Russia through until the end of the war, the capture of Berlin. Um and the game has sort of six duty stations so starting with training and then five more what i did was rather than running the same game for i think each
1: session, you mean sorry i think you mean uh, the war in europe
0: <laughs> yeah exactly that no, no, but uh, uh it, it just follows that section but as I said, it's got six six stations including training so each session i advanced advance the game from from duty station to duty station it, it is a game with a high turnover of characters it is quite easy to die so, what I had then was, I had a board which had all the various characters. I, I, I took on a whole load of character portraits and pre-written Russian names, and people would, they needed to build new characters. Pick the portrait, a name, a description, the four basic stats, and off they went. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, then at the, end of this, at the end of the whole con, I had, like, basically the whiteboard up with all the surviving characters, and all the dead characters, and all the captured characters, and all the medals they got, and their ranks, and all the maps of all the air bases of the characters were drawn, so... It was, a, it was a fun sort of collaborative experience. I only really had one bad session. Uh, and I had, a, I had a couple of players who are your typical murder hobos. Yep. You know, who are just used to dungeon crawling. And it's not a dungeon crawling style game. It's a, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a collaborative storytelling game. And unfortunately, I found that the style of the game meant that you had to basically cater to the lowest common denominator.
1: Okay. So
0: I feel a bit sorry for the other sort of more hardcore players in that group who were sort of dragged into a what was effectively a war game session. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay. Well. But
0: uh, the, rest, the rest were all good. It's funny because I actually... Because um, uh, the, the games that it goes through, like, a day and night cycle. So day cycle is all the stuff you do at the airbase, and the night cycle is the missions you fly. And they always fly in, like, wings of three planes, and they're all two-seated planes. So I set up, like, six chairs in a sort of, like, an echelon left formation in the room, and we'd play at the table. And then, okay, it's night time. My plan was to send all the players to the, the chairs... The chairs to sit where they were sitting in the planes, as such, and we'd actually narrate the the night combat from there. Then, so the first session I had uh, was only three out of my five players. I thought, I'm not going to do it with just three people. The second session I had a uh, disabled player that was, uh, I mean, n- not in a wheelchair, but but had a very a lot of difficulty um, walking, so I really couldn't get him up and down. Um, then I had the session with the, the people that just wanted to wargame it, you know, and, and so. By the time I sort of got through the session, I was like, okay, I'm obviously not doing this. But then my last session group were just like, what are those chairs for? That's for the planes. We're totally doing that. You know, so they had a great time yeah. going back and forth between the planes and, and the uh, and the, and the main table. It was a lot of fun. Uh, but that, that went really well. I was quite happy with how that game turned out. I, I was worried at first that I didn't get many registrations. I figured maybe I wrote a, a poor blurb or it was not the sort of game that the comp is looking for. But I managed to fill almost all my sessions. I certainly ran every single session anyway, so that was that well, was good. And,
1: that's good. Yeah. Obviously, As,
0: just lots of walkings. Exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, like exactly right. yeah. uh, Colin. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then the other night we played Road Trader again. We got back into our Road Trader game. It has been a little while because I've had a lot of travel and, and you've had a lot of work, and uh, but we did manage to get a game in. It was maybe a little bit of a, a, an oddly paced game because I was working to try and get the group to the point now where you've got the ship. Ready to go? We can now start doing rogue tradery stuff. Yes, and I sort of have this. So, so I've got a number of endeavors or individual sort of plot lines, and then I've also got the overarching plot as well. And I sort of want the overarching plot to be there that's something that something the group can always go back to, or will progress on its own over time. And I think I gave the the group too much of an impression that if you leave this thing alone, things are going to go bad. So I was really trying to convey this I don't know that this, this everything in here is appears under control you know you can you can walk away and the situation isn't going to rapidly deteriorate and come back at your leisure or something Yeah you, know? you didn't really give that impression James at all <laughs> So you
1: gave quite the opposite impression
0: Yep yep so uh, anyway the the group decided to move, move on so uh, by the end of the session we were back to sort of regular um Regular position, but there was a lot of scenes I like just sort of hand waved, like, you know, rather than role playing out negotiations over getting ship repairs or hiring crew, like, okay, no worries. You make the role, you get the crew, etc. Well, I just wanted to get people, get the ship up and running, mobile, and the group able to start enjoying the regular part of Road Trader anyway. Yeah. So, no worries. You have any, any gaming that I'm not aware of in the last fortnight? No? No. Okay, no worries. Uh, all right, so I mentioned before it's a Black Crusade episode. We'll do our news section. Uh, I'm going to, for the rules section, I'm, I'm actually dropping the rules for this one because we've pretty much covered all the rules in Black Crusade, but I am going to introduce a new section to the show that will start to uh, come into our shows as we start to clear out the rules of a lot of the books, yep. um, and, and we'll explain that when we get to that, so new section there. Uh, then we're going to be talking about the Pirate Prince of the Rugged Helix, uh, then we'll do our regular plot hooks and war gear section. Uh, I'm going to actually be reviewing one of the audio uh, dramas for 40k. Uh, I've, I've steered away from doing that in the past, but I'm actually going to be reviewing uh, the Transier Rebellion for a reason that I'll explain when we actually get to the um, to that section. Uh, then we're going to tackle the uh, the listener requested topic of the economics of 40k, the various different uh, systems for acquisition and money, etc., and, yeah. and how they jive together, or don't. Then we'll do a regular community section, finish the show off. Okay. Okay, let's get straight into it. Command Acknowledged. Accessing imperial archives. So, onto the news. Uh, there was one news item that came up on FFG this week. I wanted to quickly bring your attention to not not 40k related, but um, Mike, you'd be aware recently that Modiphius bought out the re- re- recreated the old Mutant Chronicles. Yeah, yep. um, mini- oh, not miniature game, the uh, um, role-playing roleplay game,
1: and done a pretty good job of it. Yep. Looks of
0: things. And they also did a second Kickstarter, which was to reprint, well, not reprint, but redesign an old. Board game that went along with *Mutant Chronicles* called *The Siege of the Citadel*. Yeah, and you know you play games like *Descent*, or um, even things like the old *Hero Quest*. Yeah, yeah, it was one of those sort of asymmetrical games where you had an Overlord character, you had uh, yeah the players playing the sort of good guys, and it was a adversarial game between the Overlord character and the the players. Now it claims. I think there were some claims I read that the original Seeds of the Citadel claimed to be one of the first games to allow you to progress the characters and the story from game, game to game. game. Now, I mean, even going back, like Hero Quest is pretty ancient. Yeah, uh, uh, Hero Quest '80s. You, yeah. you could certainly, you know, get more gear and, and get more stuff for your character, though. And
1: Advanced Hero Quest came out pretty much at the same time. Yeah,
0: and, and it did. It did point out that the one difference of Seed of the Citadel was that the intent of the campaign there was that the overlord role would rotate from game to game so yeah. you know effectively everybody would get a turn to play to an overlord so maybe maybe that was the uniqueness of it was the rotating element with the with the progression as well because it I mean obviously there's no progression you can rotate just by playing a different game with a different person running it as such yeah uh, anyway so um, Modiphius put together a kickstarter to completely redo siege to the citadel and That's been very successful. They they hit a lot of their stretch goals. And it's now come out that FFG is going to be publishing uh, that particular uh, board game as well. So I I guess the the people that Kickstarter will get it through their regular Kickstarter channels, but for people that want to access the game beyond that, it's going to be coming out of FFG. Yep. Uh, So I think that's a nice one. Actually, while we're talking about Modiphius too, I just noticed that at Gen Con this year, they've started to premiere a uh, Star Trek RPG. So, uh, not 40k at all, but, you know, uh, it might surprise you, Mike, but I think there might be a few Trekkies among 40k fans. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, so Modiphius are doing a Star Trek RPG, and they've just, in September now, opened up...
1: The only time I ever see Trekkies and 40k fans interacting is when they're arguing about who would beat who.
0: Anyway, so um, Modiphius have, uh, as of September, basically started taking applications to uh, beta test, effectively, the, the new living rules. for uh, it's, it's the same 2D20 system that was used in Mutant Chronicles. Yep. Uh, and it's also used in their other games like Mutant and um, Architect anyway. Cthulhu. So, anyway. Uh, so uh, there's some interesting stuff going on there. None of, none of that's 40K. Let's talk about 40K related stuff. Uh, moving on to Games Workshop. Uh, we've seen a lot more new releases for Genestealer cults. Including, I've noticed a lot of the Imperial Guard stuff reskinned. So, like, there's a Lehman Russ, you know, cult version. There are, you know, there's a, there's a regular uh, guard squad, which, you know, with cult heads, basically, that sort of stuff. So. The, the
1: Goliath trucks, though, also. Yeah,
0: I think you were saying before that they look sort of like the uh, something out of, out of the old, well, the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Total Recall film, yeah. you know, like with the massive, um, like, grinders on the front, that sort of stuff, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. it's a far cry from the old limos they used to have, you know. Yeah, uh, I think it's a good change. Yeah, that's it. The other thing I noticed, actually, that GW released this week... Actually, I kicked myself now. I meant to go out today and try and buy some of these. They've now released textured paints. So these are paints that have uh, basically particles deliberately in the paint. So you can use them for basing. Yes. So you know, they, they form well, a sandy surface or a cracked earth mean- surface.
1: GW have started releasing basing kits as well, proper basing kits, like little pieces of plastic stuff, like pieces of scenery you place onto the bases, yeah, yeah. full modelled bases as well with, with detail on them, yeah. because the aftermarket basing industry is actually quite big, because yeah. GW's never had anything before, and so other people always filled the hole, but they've obviously gone, you know what, that's
0: really easy to do. Yeah, that's it. yeah, and I, I'm looking at some of the pictures of these textured paint bases on their website, and like some of the ones are like the cracked earth, where it's like you know, the sort of red earth that's got this large the, cracked the, segments, you know? yeah, the baked mud. Yeah, I, I can't imagine how you would actually like you couldn't just paint that shape unless there were really big chunks. Yeah. You know, you would think it's it, you'd have to actually paint the texture on it and then use like a modeling knife to create the, the, the crackle effect as such. I don't know, but I, I certainly want to pick some of these up. I, I meant to give my local GW a call a store today. I still recall and say, you know, do you have any of these texture paints? In? I want to come pick some up because I'm currently painting old and I wouldn't mind giving them, giving that a shot anyway. So yeah, because uh, I it's been ages since I last bought Fleck or that sort of stuff to do my modelling. That's the one thing I've been pretty stuck with. The models I had painted, I haven't based any of them. Yeah, well, so, that's because uh, basing sucks. Oh, but if but if you've got texture paints to make it easy, you know why not? Yeah, yeah, True. yeah. So that was an interesting point. Other thing I point out is that uh, apparently Blood Bowl, the new edition of Blood Bowl, is either. Release now, or very close to release. They they previewed it at a um at a gaming fair in in uh, the UK. Yep, and um, some
1: people have done open uh, box yeah,
0: opening stuff as well. That's it. Yep, and uh, things like and now it's a double sided board with different options on either side of the board. Uh, you've got your typical, They've gone back to having like the coloured plastic miniatures, so yep. you know, they're not they're not painted, but you know it's like the 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 human team is with blue plastic. And the York team is with red plastic, so you can tell at a glance, you know, the, where... The, where everything is. Where the tick, exactly right, yeah. So, that looks quite good. I've always been a fan of Blood Bowl, anyway, except for oh. the most recent Blood Bowl computer game, which... Cheats. Can, ...can eat a dick. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's not even the cheating. It, it's... The main thing for me is that, um, the one thing I enjoy at Blood Bowl is the, uh, the league play. But I just don't have the time to join online league. And there is just no hot seat option. If you want to do hot seat play, that's fine, but it's literally single games with no progression yeah, uh, and even the single player campaign which has progression it's not really a progression it's more like just a series of puzzles like you know win this game while also knocking out two witch elves yeah. you know um, that sort of stuff it, it's, it's not
1: really yeah the, actually the previous version was better
0: yeah the chaos edition and that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. so there's certainly seen like a lot a lot more leagues seem to have support for the older edition of the game as well it's, it, it, it's, even though there was no hot seat play but people have sort of worked out ...hacks where you could, um, uh, like, export your file... ...then make the modifications with a text editor... ...and import them back into, back into the game again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what else is there? Oh, the other thing I'll say, um, Eternal Crusade... ...uh, probably the news might a download it now that... ...the game is officially released, but there is another live stream on... ...today, later on today, and they have previewed that... ...the new live stream will include information on Terminators... And information on apothecary grenades so I'm wondering if like, apothecaries can now throw healing grenades because it's never been a part of the 40k universe you know it's like it's like, it's, it's like when you played um, Star Trek the old, sorry, sorry, Star, Trek, Star Wars the Old Republic and some of the healing classes you know shot people better. Remember that, like, they yes. actually shoot greed, higgling energy out of their gut at the person or something that. Yeah. I'm a bit worried that, you know, possibly they you're going to be throwing, you know, grenades of health. <laughs> I mean, maybe they've got this more, maybe they've got offensive grenades that are unique and they're not, you know, conventional frag grenades, I don't well, know. So.
1: maybe they've got some sort of defensive grenade or, or something. Yeah. You'd hope so.
0: Yeah. I actually, I um, decided this week to do a bit more playing of Eternal Crusade in terms of not doing the tyranny single-player stuff, but actually trying to get back into the, the, PvP. the, the PvP angle, you know, trying to get some more points to progress my character and such. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I had a very my, my, my first game, I joined in, and there was, like, 15 minutes left to go in the game, so I played through the full game to the end. And, and it, sometimes it's, it's it's hard to tell when you've got a kill, because it's, it's like the old sort of um, Unreal Tournament where all the, the uh, Quake games where it appears, like, in the top right, you know, such and such... Killed such and such with this weapon as such. You know, when you're killed, you get a pretty clear explanation of who did it as such. But, uh, but sometimes it's hard to tell because it's not a game where you have a, a finite amount of health. You know, effectively, you start getting shot and your health will go into like the red, and or your your screen will go red. And if you don't get it to cover, you'll be killed. But if you get into cover, you sort of heal the full. Um, so it's more like the Call of Duty games as such. So um, plenty of times I'm shooting at people, and you know they duck behind cover and I can't then tell. You know, did I get them or whatever. Yeah, So I got all the way to the end of this game, it's like, oh, I had one kill. And that was the one kill I knew I got because I actually went over and did the execution move on the person as well. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> it's kind <laughs> rest, of hard to mess yeah, that up. <laughs> yeah, so the rest of the time I was just shooting people and then they were, they were healing the fall again. So I definitely need to get my PvP head back on before I start doing more of that. But I'm also looking forward to um, the new uh, uh, Space Hulk computer game. Yeah. Um, that's Because, I mean, every, other, every previous Space Hulk computer game has been very true to the original board game where it's, like, sort of... um yeah, like, turn-based. Like, like ter- not even turn-based, but just, like, you know, the 3D is limited to the squares and you have, you know, your 90-degree facings as such, that sort of stuff, yeah. whereas this is more of a conventional first-person shooter. Um, so, yeah, know, I'm going to see how, how this game turns out. I'm looking forward to giving that one a go. And they've just they have done some fun videos recently previewing all the weapons, so, yeah. Yeah. Alright, any other news that you've heard? That's probably... The most of it? Oh, that, you, you were talking what, about like, some, some of the stuff you read on... Yeah, that, yeah, that I mean,
1: they've definitely shown off now the um, Magnus the Red Demon Primarch for 40k, so the Demon Primarchs are on the way, which yep. means major progression of the storyline for 40k. Yep. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, that sure. That's really about it. I mean, originally it came about from someone... Rummaging through the, their bins at, at Games Workshop and finding Quality. a box cover, <laughs> and they posted it online. So Games Workshop went, "Well, okay, we'll show off the model," yeah. and they did. Which I have to say, kudos to them for doing it. You know, it's better than letting rumours run rampant about is it fake, is it real, what's actually going on. Yeah. They just showed off the model and they had a little discussion about it, and they said that you know they're working on major plastic kits and some some good stuff coming out.
0: Okay, all no right, yeah. All right then, uh, let's move on shall we? Yep. Knowledge is power, Hide it well. Okay, so let's do our new section. Yeah, you know, We've covered all the rules of Black Risaid now. Um, this fortnight, I, uh, I did a bit of travel. Uh, I, I went to Melbourne, Brisbane, Melbourne um, over the space of only a few weeks and I had a lot of time to listen to uh, podcasts, etc. And there's a, a podcast you mentioned before on the show which is the Total Party Thrill podcast. Yep. Uh, so that's um, Shane and Ishan who run that, and uh, the I've, I've I've checked out a lot of their new shows that out, but I've finally got a chance to actually start going back through their their uh, back catalogue and catching up on their shows, and uh, I, I've decided actually I'm going to to copy their core sort of idea to an extent. So uh, what, what, rip, what,
1: we're going to shamelessly rip them off, are we? Yeah, that's
0: it. Yeah, well, look, I mean, th- th- this whole show is already ripped off of shows like Order sixty six, which had very similar formats, etc. Anyway, uh, so what those guys do is, is that they, uh, prior to starting their show, they run a full level 1 to level 20 5th Ed campaign, like starting off with when it was still the pre-release D&D Next, all the way through to the actual proper release of 5th Ed D&D. You mean 4th uh, Ed D&D, because no, there
1: was no 4th Ed D&D. No. <laughs> retroactively becomes the new 4th. It's
0: called 5E, okay, that's the name of the video. And um, uh, they actually ran it in the Everon campaign setting. And so what they did, having completed the campaign is that with each show... Wait, They
1: managed to get through more than two sessions of Eberron.
0: Yeah. Some people really like Eberron. There, there, is, there is a... Eberron has a ma- massive following out there. So, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's actually really surprising to me. I,
0: I like Eberron. What are you talking about? Really? Have you actually played everyone? Have you ever actually... Uh, Never not, more no,
1: than one session? Not,
0: not just a computer game, you've actually played... Oh, the
1: computer game was
0: absolutely appalling. Yeah, right? but, but, but uh, that's where I got my free copy of the main book from. <laughs> <laughs> I used that main book as a mouse map for years. <laughs> anyway, some people do like it. I'm one of them. Anyway, okay. but those guys play play through the whole campaign. And so anyway, now they've finished the campaign, what they do is in the, each episode of the show, they spend a lot of time talking about the sessions of their campaign. Uh, so it's, it's, there's no sort of risk for the players now getting, you know, data they shouldn't get because the campaign's over. You know, they, yeah. they can sort of talk about well, this, all the stuff revealed. Uh, and I thought, you know, we've run a lot of 40k campaigns of various types. And so when we get to this point with our various lines and we've got nothing more to talk about rules-wise, let's start talking about our playing experiences. Uh, and, and not just from the point of view of saying, oh, we did this and then we did this, and this and it was awesome, you know. It's what does my friend call it? Um, uh, oh, oh, yeah, there I role played. Uh, no, more about talking about the observations we had about the system, the setting, um, things that worked, things that didn't work. Hopefully, stuff that people that listen to the show can use to enhance their own games in the future as well. Yeah. Uh, so, we're not going to get too far into it today. What I thought we'd do is because this is a Black Crusade game, uh, sorry, Black Crusade show, is I'm going to start by introducing our Black Crusade campaign that we played recently. You and I both played. It was run by a friend, Matt. Yep. Uh, and that was a... In terms of the total number of sessions, it was a relatively short game. Like We probably had about 10 to 15 sessions total uh, because we had a lot of sort of downtime, time passing and such. It wasn't designed to be a hardcore here we play every single Friday campaign. It was more of a, uh, a whistle-stop tour of, of Black Crusade. But still, it's worth talking about. So um, this is with four players. So the players were myself, Mike, uh, Lee and Rhiannon uh, yep. were our players. So let's talk about uh, the characters we, we had first. So why don't you tell us about Thenneth?
1: Okay, so Thenneth S- was 1000 Sun Sorcerer, yep. who ended up becoming...
0: No, no, no spoilers, no spoilers. Let's just start with what he was at the start of the campaign.
1: Oh, well, he was, well, he was supposed to be. Yes. He was supposed to be a 1000 Sun Sorcerer who'd been around since the Horus Heresy. Yep. Um, so he was an original Legion member. Um, over time, he had portioned off parts of his mind through various rituals, which are actually discussed in canon from previous old source books. So he performs this ritual at regular intervals, so he doesn't go crazy from having so much knowledge in his head. Yeah, so, so he literally, literally
0: takes a seg- segment of his past and just sections it off and then pushes it into like a psychic storage position, so doesn't no, that no longer takes up time in his mind as such.
1: Yeah, of course, every time he does that, he has to start over again with his skills and abilities... But each time he does it, he gets a bit more powerful, and then he can access more of those memories easily. Yep. And I was playing him in what I was hoping was his final iteration, where at the end he would reach Apotheosis and be able to access everything. Yep. So that was the general concept.
0: Yep. Okay, well, what were his goals other than that? I mean, like, Because you were playing the, the pretty typical sort of the, like Recover Rubric Marines.
1: Recover Rubric Marines, uh, Regain Glory for the Legion any artifacts he could get hold of, magical power, become a demon prince. Okay, that, that, right. It was very, very basic, I'm a thousand sun sort of stuff. Yep. I okay. want to learn magic.
0: <laughs> okay, so um, now I was playing a, um, a human renegade uh, that, that took the name Echo for the purposes of the Chronicle. Uh, so in this case, I was looking at the fact that a lot of the, uh, the archetypes in, in Black Crusade uh, will allow you to effectively create fallen imperial citizens. Uh, it's quite easy. You get, you get enough skill selections and item selections to be able to fully represent some form of imperial faction, which is now fallen. So I chose to take a renegade and actually um, make a fallen sororitas. Yeah. Uh, now, it's, there's always the question of, you know, in canon, can, can sororitas actually fall or not? something. I, I chose to make it that my character was a literally a novice sister that had taken part in the Battle of Trench. Yep. Um, with the what, the... what was the, the, the group called? The
1: Palthrong?
0: Palthrong. That's it, yeah. Yep. Uh, and had literally fallen in... Like, like been defeated in combat in the first encounter. You know, lay dying on the battlefield. You know, praying to the Emperor for salvation and finding none. And then suddenly finding their faith basically broken. And then when another entity came along and offered some sort of life beyond death. Yep, sign me up. You know, the, the, I, I've, I've been lied to about, you know, the, the Emperor's greatness and... Um, now I've got a, a new uh, uh, inv- not, didn't start off as a no worship but started off as Unaligned but really um, I, I sort of developed the character into a sort of style of emotional hubris that sort of, you know, having, having been mentally broken from literally everything I've, I've learned in my life was a lie basically taking the attitude of, well there, nothing matters anymore um, it, it's almost a nihilistic sort of point of view uh, the, the, you know, the only way to sort of to beat death is to Embrace and conquer it as such, and so that therefore the character invariably fell in with uh, the worship of Nurgle over time in ways that I'll discuss in, in you know, in sort of future recounting and such. But yeah, it was handy to be able to literally with a renegade, you can take all the standard Astorodas kit, you know, in terms of a bolter, a um, sort of power armor, etc. Even I managed to get the, um, uh, the uh, uh, Seraph and Wings, you know, the, um, the jump pack basically. Yeah, jump pack, That's yeah. it. And uh, because we started off slightly higher. We, we we weren't fresh freshly created characters. We had a bit. I don't know, that's what we did because because we had two characters who were advanced archetypes from the tomes. The two people playing conventional archetypes got an XP got, got bump. An XP bump to make it in line. And so, in line with that, we also got um, additional corruption, which is recommended. Uh, so yeah, like uh, some of us already mutated. So I, I'd actually already I, I rolled randomly and got the deem weapon mutation. So therefore, I created a um, a combi bolter. That was a With it had a bound plague bearer, so you know, the design was, was literally the plague bearer's moor. Was the 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 mouth of it was the gun? And it would fire rusted nails and um, junk, junk and razor blades, etc. It was called filth spitter. That's sort of thing. You know, so, did you start off with any mutation? You had the weird eyes, didn't you? You had the, um, the dark had, eyes.
1: I had a mutation which was actually really rather negative, which was minus twenty on all disguise rolls. Okay, and that well, was it. That, that was the <laughs> mutation. Was the
0: uh, I think it was. Th like the burning eyes, or like that or something? No, it was
1: it was it's called Distinctive Appearance. Okay. No it's right. distinctive appearance. I made it burning eyes and big runic marks on the face and Okay. Yeah. Very, very very weird looking.
0: Okay,
1: alright. No Actually I think I started with two mutations. It was that and something else which was equally forgettable.
0: Okay, nice. <laughs> but that all changed later on, which we'll come yes, to, yes. <laughs> okay. Uh okay, then we had Lee's character, so she was playing a character that was known only as the Colonel. Yes. Uh, so her character once again she went down the path of making a fallen imperial so she was a uh, imperial guard colonel that had um, likewise not so much fallen in battle but had given into the uh, the worship of Korn through the perfection of the battlefield as such you know, had, had been betrayed by uh, when I say betrayed like, you know, left behind to die on a battlefield while the other forces pulled out and decided to simply fight to the end with, along with her closest followers, and ended up sort of falling into the, the worship of, of corn through that. Now, she probably regretted calling herself the colonel because Mike kept on coming up with, oh, it's the colonel of corn.
1: Colonel, <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> my fault. Corn flakes didn't really fit. <laughs> so yeah, suddenly, You kept, suddenly,
0: kept calling her like, cornish, uh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> suddenly wishing suddenly suddenly wishing that she was a general instead of something like general that, you know? or, or,
1: or or a major yes that's
0: it uh so she actually had the um the demon hand mutation as well so uh, that's quite an overt one that that straight away meant that we were going to have limitations with
1: sneaking um, around with
0: sneaking around that's it yeah um but also what was interesting with that character was that uh she really didn't like talking about her past. So uh, we didn't realise it later on, but we, we were going we, There was an opportunity to actually run across her past deeds at a later point, and that character was like, "No, no, we're not doing that." You know, we had no idea why she's so against this. It seems like this seems totally up her alley. Yeah. but uh, you know, we'll come to that in a, in a future show. Um, okay, and, then, uh, she, and she was playing a uh, apostate. Yeah. So whereas normally you would think that a um, renegade uh, would renegade fit. would fit, she went more down the line of okay, well, I was successful because I was a great leader. Yep. Uh, and so, therefore, she took the Apostate. To, and she, she certainly put in the combat skills as well. But not being. If you're a corn follower, you pretty much get the combat skills
1: very cheap. It's exactly exactly right. Yeah, exactly right.
0: And, and I felt a bit guilty because I sort of went for a character which was more range focused. So I did things like, you know, I, I really focused on getting the most out of the bolter. That's sort the of stuff, which is why I went for a combi bolter as a as a deem weapon. Even though, annoyingly, you don't get storm on combi bolter. You only get. Um, what's twin went, link? Twin link, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, but she she went more melee focused. But you know, I'm probably more um, cluey on these games, so my character actually became quite melee skilled as well. And I always was careful to make sure I didn't, I, I didn't want to outshine that character. And it became hard sometimes because she just had really poor rolling sometimes. You and Lee were the worst rollers in that game, really. Yeah. Um, horrific, <laughs> horrific rolling. <laughs> horrific rolling. Uh, okay, and finally we had uh, Rihanna's character Fifi. Uh, So Fifi was a ragged, so Pirate Prince of the Ragged Helix, which we'll be talking about um, shortly in the show as well. Uh, Again,
1: a former Imperial citizen.
0: Yes, that's it. You know, a rogue trader who had, um, was was a typical Ragged Helix Prince. Um, Yeah, basically, completely given over to sensation, completely self focused. that makes it sound bad, but yeah, which was pretty bad actually, yeah. Um yeah, basically Of course uh, it was bad we were all bad. We're it. the bad yeah, guys. Right, yeah. But yeah, the classic classic narcissus, which is really one of the, the Pirate Prince's traits as well, but uh uh she had a ship there which was called the Radiance of Thesta. I think the first time we met her, she had this elaborate headpiece which included a model of her ship. In her you know, hair. In yes. her hair, exactly, you know the
1: head made to look like a warp storm. Exactly
0: yeah. right, yeah. So and she wasn't um Definitely wasn't a combat character. Was more the sort of the, the very sort of, strong social character. Uh, but that Sedge could still certainly fight. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah, and she had the the demon organ um, uh, mutation. So she had the, the demon's tongue. Yeah, uh, which which made her very you know, glib as well. <laughs> and, and she had do you remember the backstory. She she had discovered a a demon in a mirror, and the mirror was kept in her uh, in her stateroom in the ship, and she would regularly sort of consult with the demon um, bound in the mirror as such so yeah. um, and, and out of all the people I expected to betray us even though we had a, a worshipper of Zinx like you I, I sort of thought I wonder if you know Fifi's going to betray us as well but uh, mm. um, yeah things turned out the way they did so that that was a group of four so we literally ended up with a corn worshipper a Sonesh worshipper a Noga worshipper and a zinc worshipper which was it was a nice mix with four players yep um, and just to give you the, the quick background to the what the campaign was. I won't go through the individual sessions yet. But basically, um, the first session established that our characters were approached by a warlord. And this warlord... What were some things we noticed about the warlord, Mike? What would you say were some of the things that really... Really stood out? Yeah, his compelling eyes, would you say that? Yeah, so, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it was lots Commen- of things which stood out. It wasn't until <laughs> later that we noticed he had a centaur body with that of a lobster.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, from, yeah. From the waist down he was a gigantic lobster. That's it. It was one of those things where it's like, really? You didn't lead with that, GM? You know, you didn't say... <laughs> the first thing you notice is he's half lobster. Yeah. But it was... it was That became a constant point for the rest of the economy. Every time some, every time we met someone, they'd get some relatively innocuous description and we'd, we'd always say, and Matt, and, and? Have they got, you know, like, giant bat wings? Have they got, you know, the head of a goat? And then just... <laughs> But, um, so we, we picked up straight away that, that, so that warlord, first thing was that they appeared very literal. Um, you know, if, if they said they were going to do something that they, they, they were very literal. So at one point they, the, the character in the first meeting said, I'm going to go and get something. And we basically said, Oh no, you don't, you know, you don't need to do that. We, we, we don't need you to see that. He's like, Oh no, I have to go and do that now. And I literally had to leave the room and come back and with what he said he was going to get. So it seemed that you had this sort of compulsion that he yeah. um, could neither lie nor he, say something and then not fall up on it as such.
1: Yeah, it, it was like a, a, a gear Yeah, a, that's
0: it, like a curse or something like that. Um, the other thing we noticed in the first meeting was that the room that we had the meeting with in with, with him in was, had all these cats around. Uh, and the cats would become important later on. But uh, anyway, so this, this warlord had come to the knowledge of... A chaos ritual that required multiple uh, events to occur, and that would then allow the opening of a portal into a location where those entering the location were effectively each granted—it's called a wish. Yeah. You know, um, uh, anything that their heart desired, as such um, could be achieved in this location. Mm-hmm. And he was basically hiring the the player characters to go around and enact. The, the four key points of the ritual, uh, you know, it won each devoted to each of the uh, the gods as such, uh, in order to op- open the doorway. And then the characters would then their payment was well, first off, they got they got each got to pick something straight away, uh, and then they would also get to join him going through to get whatever you know wish was. And so, straight away, there was okay, we're totally gonna be betrayed. No, 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 no one gives away that sort of power without realising that they'll probably, they'll probably get betrayed themselves. So, yep. you know, straight away from the first session, we were playing. okay, how can we do this? How can we still get the reward, but make sure the guy that hired us doesn't? You know? so, yeah. Um, and that's the, that was the campaign jumping off point. You know? And I think we'll, in future shows, cover the different sessions. I mean, Mike, as a, as a starting point for a campaign, how do you feel that that was?
1: Um, I think it worked well with making it that we obviously had to work together, because if we didn't, none of us would get The wish. Yeah, that's right. You know, it was very nebulous as to what the wish was, which was good as well, because that way you could adjust the power level of what was given to us. Yep. Um, So it wouldn't, if the game was going to continue past A, it wouldn't unbalance the game. Um, It introduced all the characters to each other pretty quickly, and it meant that each, because each action had to be done in worship to one of the four gods, and we all worshipped a separate god, it meant that each person would get a spotlight shined on them. So straight away, it sort of set all the key points for making it a pretty...
0: Cinematic sort of chronicle as yeah. such, you know, for, for, formulaic but cinematic in the same respect. Yeah, yeah.
1: formulaic but cinematic. It, yeah. it, obviously, it wasn't going to be a, a very long-term campaign, but it, it was obviously going to go quite well.
0: Okay, I mean, my, thought, my other thought was that because part of the hook was, you know, if you're going to work from where you can each choose something that I can give you now, and that that particular component was quite nebulous. So, do you remember what you got from him in the first place? Was it the location i got of the, the location
1: marines? of a group of four rubric
0: marines. Let's see, yeah. And my my character requested knowledge, and therefore was given access to a an, an arcane library, basically. So, yeah. it's one of those things where um, very open-ended requests can be difficult for a GM. You know, you could you could really come up with some really odd things. That, that if I was running a similar sort of campaign, I would probably set some more distinct boundaries yeah as to what could be asked for um, A, I guess to keep it also even among the players too but uh,
1: yeah I mean I, you're right because the more powerful the thing that you asked for, the harder it was to actually use it or get it really because yeah. I mean I asked for the location of Rubric right? Marines yeah that was my request
0: yeah
1: and I don't think I got them until the very last session.
0: Last session, or no, it was one of the one of the one of the last rituals. You mean last It locations. was
1: the last ritual location, but I couldn't actually use them.
0: Oh, okay, until the last session, yeah. until
1: the last session. Because that's
0: the other thing is the fact that um, you still have to buy them. That the, you know, the, the, that location was well because with each of the ritual locations, well, because when we went to do each component of the ritual, we were given a number of potential target worlds we could go to, and, and different ways that. So yeah, you know, the ritual requires a great sacrifice of people so here are a number of worlds where you could do something that would result in a great sacrifice for example when we got to pick in each case which one we were going for and when we came to one of the players um, I guess focus points uh, you were told that one of the worlds in that in question was the one that had you were told where the Ruben rings was so it's pretty it was a pretty clear choice for you yeah, yeah there's almost no point in looking at that other choice although there was actually the other choice that you could have gone for. We'll talk about that for the, um, for the Citadel, but yeah. um, we'll talk about that later on. So, I mean, that was, I guess, the other consideration was you got to be careful with, when you offer people very open-ended choices, they will make very open-ended decisions, and then you've got to deal with that going forward as well. So, yeah. But there was really good foreshadowing in the first session, like, you know, the, the inclusion of the cats, the whole question of what is up with this guy's gears, you know, how can we use this to our advantage? We were already saying to plan... How could we really screw this guy over and make him say I'll do something that he was he was going to get trapped by his own words, and that was a, an interesting sort of way to start off. And um, yeah, I, I never really felt that the characters were out of whack in terms of um, their power level. Yeah, you know, even though we yeah. had two characters that were. Conventional heretics and two characters that were specialist archetypes.
1: And one character which was a cast spaceman and all the others humans. Yeah,
0: that that all seems. I mean, now that being said, your character wasn't a combat wombat. Your character was absolutely dreadful in combat. (laughs) Yeah, but still effective because of, you know, the. He was inherently a spaceman, yes. Which was offset again by your terrible rolling. Yeah. (laughs) And the stuff he was really good at, like psychic powers, you still rolled terribly on. Yeah. So so I'm I'm sure there will be many future shows where we get to laugh at the many failures of. It's it. yeah, it's it. yes.
1: Well, you've just got to remember from the very last session, none of those failures occurred. That's quite true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, so that's our, our new plan going forward. Um, yep. We will do this in other shows as well I'm, I'm, as we sort of get to the end of the, the rule section. We'll start to bring up anyway, we, we, have, we probably haven't played enough Uh, Death Watch to really yeah we only really
1: have one campaign to draw from I have
0: played a campaign you didn't play as well though so oh okay that's it maybe we can do more there hey hey let's quickly we've got three episodes until the next Death Watch show that's six weeks let's quickly have a uh, (laughs) Death Death Watch Watch campaign campaign. we'll we'll work something out we'll figure it out yeah that's it alright let's keep going shall we okay all subjectants report to the administrator for career assignment Okay, so having just spoken about a campaign in which we were playing with a uh, Pirate Prince of the Ragged Helix, now it's time to actually discuss said, said career, or archetype, yep. which comes from uh, the Tome of Excess. So it is a Slaanesh worshipping career at the start. So I guess what's the, the role that this, this uh, career plays in the game? First thing I was going to say is that the Pirate Prince of the Ragged Helix is for people that really want to play Rogue Trader, but their GM insists upon running Black Crusade.
1: Well, yeah, that's <laughs> certainly one way of looking at it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... Fun, fun, I mean, I, I guess the key to finding point is that they have possession of a, a void ship. Yep. Uh, which isn't really defined in the rules of Black Crusade. It does it does give you the ability to uh, get from place to place without, without actually making the acquisition roles to do so. Uh, but other than that, it's really up to the scope of the GM. Yeah. And, and did you find that it was... I mean, in our own campaign, how did you find the ship was integrated?
1: Um, to be honest didn't really play that much of an impact, yeah because I mean, the game was spread out sort of
0: yeah we, we sort of cinematic ha- we, we, we hand waved the travel, you know yeah there were a few scenes on the ship, for example, but you know it was more of a set piece than a than a real tool as such I, yeah. no, no one that we never i think ever bombarded the planet or used it to threaten to get compliance or yeah.
1: That's true, but really it was mainly because we were never really in a situation where it would be useful. Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose maybe with the um, the one we ended up doing in, in service to corn, we could have used it to bombard some of the armies.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't really think it would have achieved anything particularly better than how we'd done it. And, you know, it was dedicated to corn. We kind of needed to kill them up close and <laughs> personal.
0: it, yeah. Oh, well, let's come back to that. I mean, I suppose, so you've got the character, which really, their the two th- things are that they have a void ship and in most cases they are very wealthy because they're pirates. You know, yeah. they, they ply the, the warp of the Screaming Vortex and they amass vast wealth through plunder. Yes. So that, 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 would you say that's their two key defining points? A, and I guess they're slaves sensation as well. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'd say sort of, that's it. Okay. Sums yeah, them worries. up. Okay, so the two traits they get first one is called maniacal narcissist. That that I think fits Fifi, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I, think. yeah I think it did. So they get to select one of three skills, either ballistic skill, or three three traits, either ballistic skill, weapon skill, or operate. Uh, and it's, it's generally it's operate any one, but presumably you probably go for your void ship or void ship know, you or, could go aeronautical aeronautical. or Yeah, that's it. Uh, and whenever you use the infamy trait to spend infamy and gain a plus ten, you actually gain a plus twenty instead. The drawback is that if you fail the roll, you have to make a minus twenty willpower test, or attempt the roll a second time if, in some way, possible. Uh, and you are at minus ten on your minus ten on willpower tests until you have successfully rolled that skill, or the session is ended. Yeah. So this is an interesting trait because there's quite a bit of difference between ballistic skill or weapon skill and operate. You know, you could make several ballistic skill or weapon skill tests in a in a session, but you know, you may only find one important operate role in a session. It's,
1: But that said, it's going to be more important than your average ballistic skill or weapon skill test. Yeah. You know, usually speaking, it has a higher effect if you fail. Yeah. You know, if you crash a void ship, it's a bit worse than if you fail to shoot someone.
0: It's not, if you fail and crash, you'll feel bad about it too, having to make negative willpower too. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> Hmm. I mean, if you were if you were building a new character, like this what would you use? Would you go the upgrade? I'd, or would I'd you... go weapon
1: skill. Weapon personally, skill, personally, but yeah. but that's because I have a concept generally in mind for Rag Pirate Prince of the Raggedy, because I wanted to play one yeah. long ago. Yeah, yeah, and I had a, a concept in mind and and weapon skill fit it.
0: Okay, no worries. Well, actually, I'll mention that again in a bit too. Uh, the other trait they have is uh, creature of comfort, uh, which means that they gain an additional success when attempting to attain. <sighs> Good or better quality items, but take so. So, this is the thing there's no there's bonus, no, there's no benefit for, for of passing it. Of success, isn't this
1: benefit. This trait yeah. does nothing for you,
0: yeah. Well, no it gives you a penalty when you try to acquire poor quality items, you get a minus 10. Yeah, and if you're using if you're on the bridge of your void ship, you get plus 10 to operate void ship. Yeah, so which you know, if you had void ship as your uh, maniacal narcissist trait, you could potentially get plus 30 with an infamy point. Yeah, just don't fail. But yeah, I I noticed that too and I was going through it and I was like, hold on a second, but there is no benefit of rolling rolling multiple, multiple successes, successes. on a
1: whether you pass by one point or you pass by six degrees has yeah. no effect on what you purchase. Yeah, because you
0: 'cause you basically selected the quantity and the quality Already. as part of establishing the difficulty. Yeah. So and this was never errata, was it? That was never in the No, moment. it was never
1: in the errata. It was never clarified what the hell they actually meant by this. Yeah. I always took it as what they're saying is if you're buying something of good or better quality, you get a, a plus 10 bonus.
0: Yeah. I mean, a yeah, plus 10 bonus would potentially translate to... To a you know, one to degree. degree. Success, you know, and that's what the I... Opp- f- the opposite is minus 10, so...
1: As a house rule, that's how I would ha- ha- house rule it because yeah. otherwise it doesn't make any sense. It's, it's a trait which does nothing... To be honest, yep. Pirate Prince of the Ragged Helix, out of all the advanced traits, uh, out of all the advanced careers, has the worst
0: two traits. Okay,
1: they are both really
0: compared to what a lot of the others. A lot of the others are really, really powerful. I guess that's yeah. the main thing. Like they're, they're not; like they're, they're bad. It's just that they, they, they are poor compared to. I, I think
1: it's a balance for the fact that they start with a void ship, yeah, and which which will bring us to a point that we'll make towards the end of this, but we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll carry
0: on. Okay, no worries. So let's talk about building uh, a Pirate Prince. Uh, looking at characteristics, I think that Fellowship is probably a good one. They, they are, generally speaking, a social character. Yep. Um, intelligence, maybe. Uh, agility, uh, especially for flying and everything else. I think that, that you know, most slash followers will have a decent agility. agility. Uh, willpower, if they're going to suffer from willpower penalties because of their... That being said, I mean... It, most... it
1: depends if you want to play up the fact that they're...
0: Sensates, yeah, I mean, Sensates, that, that, a low willpower could represent that as well. Yeah, so.
1: or if you want to be them, you know, they're still struggling against it sort of thing. It depends yeah. how you want to go.
0: And when I look at like cutlass, I definitely think weapon skill. Like, going back yeah. to you, you mentioned before, melee, like I, I think of the sort of classic pirate with a cutlass, that sort of stuff, and yeah. I think weapon skill would be my preference between that and ballistic skill anyway. So. Also,
1: especially since the fact that the vast majority of the slanesh.
0: Talents, oh, talent, uh, are based off of weapon skill okay. rather
1: than ballistic skill, ballistic, most ballistic skill talents are actually Nurgle aligned. Yeah, I noticed most, that
0: when I made a Nurgle character that was a ballistic skill expert.
1: Yes, <laughs> and most weapon skill talents are either Slaanesh or Corn. That's it. Yeah.
0: So you got to be poor old, a... old Zent worshippers stuck yeah. with all those psychic talents. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, so skills. Uh, I mean, charm, deceive. If you're going for the sort of social skills, definitely command. Um, Probably even commerce as well. You know, you might be a pirate, but you're you're going.
1: Yeah, it's a shame because you're going to struggle a bit to get your command up because it's corner lined, and you start off slanesha lined.
0: That's it. And
1: intimidate because it's really you need to scare your crew to follow
0: you. That's true. You
1: know, the the, the old idea that they're following you because the rank and thats out the door. Forget that. They're following you because they're scared of you. Yeah they know that you can get them the most treasure well
0: that's it you pay them exactly right because you know, yeah. we want to if you, if you look after your pieces of eight the doubloons will take care of themselves that's it, it. Um, navigation I think uh, I mean at the end of the day they still have a crew running their ship but it's still a key, key trait especially something like the, the screaming vortex where to be honest
1: yeah. I think that as a chaos follower someone who can look into the warp and not go completely gibbering crazy yeah a Pirate Prince of the Ragged heel, It should be killing their navigator and piloting the ship
0: themselves. <laughs> Navigating
1: the ship themselves because you know what? They're not going to mutiny against you if as soon as they do that, they're stuck in the warp. That's it. Uh,
0: operate, definitely. Uh, if you, I think parry, I mean, they get the choice, they get uh, parry, automatically. they get a choice of either dodge or plus 10 parry. I'd be, you know, sort of probably focusing on the parry, especially as a weapon skill character.
1: Yeah, again, it's a corn-based skill, so buying up plate is going to be really
0: yep. difficult. And probably scrutiny to identify those mutinies before they happen. Yes, you know, <laughs> and, and to, to measure the mark when you try to swindle them out of a deal, that sort of thing. And so,
1: also in Black Crusade, they, they narrowed the skill list, so yep. evaluate's gone. Yep. It's a part of scrutiny now. So knowing how much that
0: items worth or
1: items worth. Oh, this piece of fine artwork is actually a piece of fine artwork and not just some cheap knockoff. Because you know, you're one You're not going to have some cheap knockoff hanging around your ship. You want the real thing.
0: That's right. Yeah. And, like, framed in the flesh of the original creator. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
1: Wherever possible. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, okay, talent-wise, definitely um, Air of Authority. And, and from that, Inspire Roth, I think.
1: Yeah. I think they start with Air of Authority. They, do, they
0: start with Air of Authority, yeah. 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 Uh, excessive Wealth, I think, goes... And they, I think they, but they, they start with that, that as that too, well, yeah. 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 Uh, Hotshot Pilot, I mean, it, it comes down to whether you were going to be actually do a regular Aeronautica as well. But uh, it's probably the one of the various archetypes that say probably does deserve hotshot pilot
1: I'd and say even if you don't choose operate as your maniacal narcissist thing hotshot Pilot's yeah. still a really good choice you're
0: going to be the pilot in the group anytime a pilot test is required really unless it's yeah. jumpbacks yeah you're
1: not going to let other random people fly your ship I
0: yeah. don't think going along with arrow authority things like iron discipline into the joys of hell this is the sort of character I could see taking multiple minions of chaos with the various levels
1: oh definitely
0: uh, peers as well yeah peers um, I think pretty- they
1: start with a couple of peers
0: yeah I think so that's true yeah uh, pity the weak. Yeah. Um, radiant presence is another sort of social one. Unholy devotion for their uh, for their followers, and potentially unshakable will because it's it's difficult to play the character that cows people in, in, in with fear and then responds you know horrifically to fear. Yeah. And
1: well, that that's it because you see the thing is they're not going to be scared of anything particularly because they've seen it all, they've experienced it all, but. Yeah they've got low willpower when it comes to resisting temptation. So it's that hard balance of do you give them high willpower or not. Yeah, and This yeah. goes back to that, that there are talents you can get which will show that they're fearless, but they still succumb to, to...
0: I also considered talents like, for example, cold-hearted or jaded, and I thought that doesn't really fit here because we don't want that sort of nervel- oh, sorry, nerveless um, non non-presence with this character. They are... They bask in the sensation of everything around them, and so. Well,
1: that said, just because you're you're you know you, you can't be seduced, yeah. doesn't mean you don't let it happen anyway. <laughs> it's just that at the end of it, when they say, oh, so what about you? Give me that whatever," you're like, nah,
0: baby." <laughs> That's it. Well, yeah, and, and when we talk about our own uh, Black Crusade campaign in the future, we'll be talking about the ultimate seduction check. Yes. That's it. Um, all right. So some tips on playing the Ragged Prince. Uh, I guess the first thing to work out is. You're a very upwardly mobile individual that doesn't need a lot of other people around them because they already have a lot of people around them that serve them directly. Why have they chosen to join this warband?
1: Yeah. What um, are they getting out of it and what are they putting in? Well, yeah. it's obvious what they're putting into it. Yeah. But what are they getting out of
0: it? Yeah. What's the background to the character in the ship? I mean, ships in, in the Imperium have massive backstory backstories. How did you come by the ship and how did it come to the Screaming Vortex? And chaos ships gen. Really, tend to have an even longer history because yeah.
1: they're generally a lot older.
0: Exactly, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's not that many forges of Mars that are churning out, yeah. you know, iconic pattern uh, raiders that sort of stuff. So, yeah, uh, and, and I guess remember to be, you know, that slave to sensation that, that these characters often. The, the reason that they, they, they don't need more wealth, they don't need more plunder, but they leave the confines of the ragged helix um, in order to experience new things, take new lives. Yeah, uh, claim new, new it, it, rewards. They
1: don't need the treasure, but they need the treasure. That's right, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, and, and going back to an original point, this is more for the GMs than anything. Yep. This is a character where if someone makes it and you decide, I'm not going to let them have a void ship because a void ship's too much. Yep. Don't let them make this class. No, exactly. Yeah. Because it really is reliant on that. They've nerfed, I suppose, for lack of a better word, that they're... Special traits, yeah, because they've given them a void ship. If you take that void ship away, unless you make it a a plot point that they're going to get it at some stage fairly soon, yeah, you're really doing this character a massive disservice by taking their ship away. You really are.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things. Like I sort of see this character, like you know, I'm going to start running a a, you know a D and D campaign, and someone says, "Oh, can I play a young gold dragon?" It's like, okay, well. Yeah, there are reasons why that character could potentially become involved. There are mechanics to deliver how that can be done, but it could easily not fit at all with the campaign. Yeah. And so, you know, you really need to decide is this character going to fit? Going to fit with Uh, the campaign. And I have to say,
1: more than, sorry, with the exception of one Nurgle, the the plague, uh, the um, filth priest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because their traits are just ridiculously powerful. Yeah. With the exception of them, I think that really this is one the GM has to look at and decide, is this the sort of campaign I'm running? Is this going to derail everything? Yeah. Because, I mean, think about the campaign that they wrote. The oh,
0: What was the name? Uh, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. The... um uh... Anyway, the, yeah, the, 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 the story... The storybook the, the, pre- yeah.
1: pre-written module that yeah. the, the, they released a full book for. Yeah. The entire, I think, first chapter
0: of that yeah. is them travelling. Yeah, trying to tra- well, them trying to organise travel. You know, try, trying to barter for a way to yeah. get there such. You know, you so.
1: allow Pirate Prince of the Ragged Helix in, that's gone straight away.
0: Yeah, let's see that. And, and I guess, like anything of this, of this type, if you're going to have one of these characters in your group, you need to A, incorporate challenges that are easier to overcome with a void ship you yep. know, to reward that and incorporate challenges where a void ship offers no benefit. Yeah. You know, so. so,
1: for example, that first chapter section where you have to organise someone to give you a ship, you yep. might have to organise someone who's a navigator who can get you
0: yeah.
1: out of the area or... You may have to organise another ship because your ship is too well known. Yeah, you, need, a you, need,
0: you need to hire a whole bunch of people to remove all the skulls and spikes from it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you, you, as a GM, you're going to have to do some thinking yeah. if you do incorporate
0: a character like this.
1: Yeah.
0: It's, it's, not, it's not an open door to just no. give this a go. All right, so there you go. Let's keep. Oh, actually, this will go quite nicely to our plot hook section as well, so let's move on to that. Okay. Attention, loyal servants of the Imperium, stand by to receive orders. And by the magic of radio, we did just check in the adventure module that Mike was referring to was a hand of corruption, by the yeah. way.
1: Okay. I thought it was a hand of something, but I couldn't remember what.
0: All right. So onto the plot hook. And here I want to talk about what we just skipped over, which is the whole idea of getting around the Screaming Vortex. Yeah. Because th- just doing so can become the focus of a session or an adventure in itself. You know that The Screaming Vortex doesn't have a municipal transport system. Yep. Uh, you know It does rely upon weird ways of traversing traversing the area, either ships or gates or rituals or such, and just saying to a group that your next objective is not on this world, it's somewhere else, can be a big deal. Yep. So, I mean, what, Mike, are some of the ways that you can present to players to travel around the screaming Vortex?
1: Rituals is probably the easiest one to, to think of, but yeah. it brings up the challenge of once they know a ritual to teleport... They know a ritual to teleport, um, now, unless, they'll try and find or use for it all the
0: time. Unless it's like a ritual to teleport you to this to the spot you wanted to go to, then yeah, um, you can make deals with demons. A demon
1: of even minor power probably has the ability to, to move them there. Yep. Though of course they're going to want something in return. You can Are make... you
0: saying that demons aren't altruistic?
1: I know it's <laughs> shocking, but sometimes demons don't do things for the good of chaos. Okay. It's it's a terrible state of affairs. Yeah. Um, obviously, pirates and, and traders and other people like that who have a ship. Yeah, I mean, and other warbands. They may force you to actually fight for them for a while to pay off the debt. Yep. But then you'll get to where you're going.
0: I mean, the the exact sort of scope or size of the Screaming Vortex is never truly defined. Yeah. So, in, in, talking about um, within the Imperium, you've got a few different types of ships. You, yes, you have ships that are warp drive capable, and you also have ships that are in-system ships only. Yeah, They're only capable of sublight function. And the reason you have a warp drive is that the warp allows you to transverse exceptionally long distances by, you know, it, 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 this is how they get around the whole relativity problem in this game, is you go to a sub-realm where distance is measured differently. Yeah. And given that the screen vortex is entirely that subrealm. There's no reason that you don't you couldn't get around cool. there with just a plane in-system ship. Of yeah, and, and there's also
1: the option of purchasing a, a golden ship from the from Kassar. Yeah, And as they say, if you try and take those ships outside of the screaming vortex, they tend to fall apart yes. and kill everyone on board. <laughs> but it gives you another option. You know, it's a small ship, probably a bit bigger than a gun cutter maybe, a couple hundred metres, and that way you also dispose of the problem of I've got tens of thousands of crew, which... Yeah someone tried to use yes. <laughs> in, in uh-huh. our Rogue Trader game the other night, yeah. you, you know, it's not going to help. Yeah, Most it. of the time, just throwing more people at something doesn't help.
0: Yeah. The premium it does it all the time. What do you say? <laughs> yeah. And they still lose, so that should tell you something. That's mm-hmm. it. I mean, yes, you can deliver uh, transportation as simply an acquisition test to buy barter transport, to... Uh, get a ship whatever the case may be but you you know really if you're unless your campaign is really stretched for time uh, you can say well okay I want to go through the negotiation side of you know maybe you can find multiple uh, different ships that you might take and the group gets to decide which one they like the sound of the best you know maybe there are different plot sub arcs you can do during the time the ships actually travel is actually taking place so yeah, you can either hand wave travel in Black Crusader or you can make it something really interesting yeah, because the warp is so unusual and nebulous that uh, yeah, you can really generate anything. So, anyway, that's it for the plotter. Let's keep going. Okay. Revere the Omniscia, for it is the source of all power. So, in keeping with both the scope of our own campaign and the uh, Pirate Prince, I've picked out a melee weapon for today's uh, war gear section. It, Mike, you like uh, Family Guy? You watch Family Guy? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to feel compelled to keep referring to this as the Neural Whip. Whip? <laughs> whip, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just got the Neural Whip. It's all right. Um, so this is actually an item that uh, uh, Pirate Princes can have uh, as a starting item. Yep. And I guess it's one of those weapons where sometimes you might choose flavor over function. Because, yeah. I mean, going through its stats... Now, it is a melee weapon with a one meter range. So, uh, Sorry, 3-meter range, sorry. yeah, So you, it does give you, I guess, the ability to deliver melee attacks at a slight...
1: Yeah, unless you're fighting against an agility, you know, 4 yeah. Nurgle Beast,
0: that, 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 it's going to be able to half-step half and I'm get sorry. into combat
1: with you that same round. Exactly. It's not really much of an advantage, 3 meters range.
0: Yeah, it's just a D10 plus 1 damage, uh, no penetration, but it does have both the uh, flexible quality, which means that it basically can't be parried, and the shocking quality. So if it does damage, they have to make a test or or, get uh, stunned. or stunned, Exactly right. Uh, so you know, as a weapon, not you know, there are certainly plenty of other weapons out there, but Ooh. the whole concept of a character, especially a Sunesh worshipper with a whip, uh, really does sort of fit the 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 theme of it as well. Hundred yeah. percent. And yeah, you know, if you get a dim weapon, you know, go to the, the tome of excess and you can pick up. The lash, the, yeah, the la- lash of lash of torment, yeah, which is you know the, the same thing, just much much better with uh, many extra like it's yeah, yeah, it's just a yeah, yeah, it, yeah. demon <laughs> version of the same thing, exactly right, yeah. But I mean, I guess this is the thing is really Black Crusade is a game of form over function. You know, yep. The characters are not balanced. You have Space Marines in the same room as you know, human apostates and such, and so uh, I could tell you about multiple times in our own campaign that we, I mean. My character in our game traded Power Armor in, eventually, for Feudal Plate, because the Feudal Plate gave gave the, the look the character was going for better than, the, than, you know, the original Emperor Best Power Armor did. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was purely a case of, of form of a function. So, um, yeah, think about those sort of things with your own game, you know, get a power scythe, get, you know, whatever weapon's going to fit your character better than just whatever was going to give you the best stats. Yes. Uh, and, you know, put a demon in it. No matter how terrible the weapon is, it's going to get much more powerful once you buy it. Straight bite. away. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. You can you know, build a, what are they called? Not legacy weapons. Um, well, Those weapons of legacy, yeah, isn't Yeah, it?
1: yeah. Legacy weapon weapon or a demon weapon whip. Yeah. Or a demon weapon sword that looks like a whip. <laughs> whatever you feel like. You've been playing too much tech and whatever it is. I want to, uh, Hey, one of the demon weapon abilities for Slanesh yep. is that whatever it is becomes flexible. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, your sword is flexible. flexible. Okay, no Like <laughs> a whip.
0: Alright, there you go. Let's keep going. Okay. My lord, the information you requested is now available for your review. Let's get into our review now and It's been running a bit low on things to review, so I've decided to sort of dig out through my archives and see what I wanted to talk about on the show. And I've mentioned several times in the past that I've really quite enjoyed the audiobooks that that, uh, Black Library puts out. And for a long while, I've been looking on on the Black Library website because you can buy MP3 versions of the books. I I tend to prefer to buy them as CDs, which is probably silly because I do travel a lot and I can't really listen to a CD on an aircraft. But, um, yeah, there's been a couple of items there which are MP3 only, for example. Yeah. And one of those was a, uh, an audio drama series they did recently called The Transier Rebellion. And, and The Transier Rebellion is a bit different from the other audio books I've gone through, which is why I wanted to sort of review it separately because I've mentioned plenty of times on the show this is a good audio book, this is a good audio book, but The Transier Rebellion is something a bit different. What they've tried to do here is they've tried to really capture the style of your old-school radio plays, So, there is no narration. All the other audiobooks, there is always a narrator, even if the narrator is the same person doing the character voices, there is always a story narration. And in the case of the Transier Rebellion, there is no narration, it is simply the actors speaking out the roles that they're doing, uh, and, with, and,
1: with, and an with, FX guy making sound effects. Yeah, well,
0: no, I mean, it, it, sorry, it, it is proper sound effects, not a person like you know clashing two uh, rocks co- together to make thunder or that sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they,
1: two <laughs> coconut shells. <laughs> for See, yeah, no, it is
0: it is a, it is a proper one. Um, so, uh, without remembering the exact names, I think there's about seven or eight actors and actresses that actually do the the story of the Trans Rebellion. Yeah, and in keeping with it being like an audio drama, it's actually, when you buy it from the website, it's actually a 13, I think 13 part MP3 file. And each part is like, it is a, um, uh, an episode as such. So as each one finishes, when you start the next one up, it sort of, it, it goes back 10 seconds to the end of the previous one, you know, so they, it, a lot of them end on cliffhangers as such, you know, so it repeats the last line of and then it kicks onto the next one. That is one of my one complaints with it, because I did sit down, I listened to it from where to go uh, on an aircraft, and every single file starts off with the musical intro, and then the voice saying, you know, The Transier Rebellion by CZ Dunn, you know, starring, blah, 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 you know, episode, whatever. So, uh, if you're listening to it in a row, you've a lot of it is filled in with just the outro music, the intro music, and the intro voiceover as such. Yeah. But, you know, like all the audiobooks, they have great... Um, acting as such. I mean, all all the names that participate in it are recognised from other audio books, so it's clearly the same look group that Heavy Entertainment used to do the audio books for, um, for Black Library. There were a couple of elements of it that made it a bit more difficult when it came to uh, not having the narration. So, to give you an idea, in the first episode, there is a scene where uh, one Marine pulls his bolt gun on another, right? and and they're, and they're trying to talk him down. And then there is the sound effect of a bolt gun shot. And so your first thought is, hold on a second, was, does the guy that drew his gun fired, or is like the guy was pointing out, to whip sure his gun out and fire as well? And it was actually, in this case, the latter. Uh, but, and the person, when it starts talking, it begins on the first episode, you haven't yet got an, a good feel for, which voice is, which character is such. So for a moment, it was slightly confusing, without the benefit of the narration, to tell you what was going on. But, Given that, realistically speaking, you're talking about each episode's about ten minutes long, so you're talking about just over two hours of of um, story with no narration. It actually does flow quite well. Yeah. Uh, without giving too much away, it's it's basically about a um, a monastery on a world called Transia that is used for training uh, chaplains of a marine chapter, uh, and the monastery itself is attended by uh, sororities, and the, um, the Marines are basically coming to the planet in order to inspect the latest batch of potential recruits uh, that would then be taken into their star and trained as, as chaplains for their, for their uh, chapter, basically. And, of course, things don't go well. <laughs> is a, uh, there is a corruption on the planet. It, it does get pretty convoluted, the story. Like, you know... Okay, first thing is people are being affected. People, there's mind affecting things going Okay, so it's chaos and the warp. Oh, but now there's also Tau. But oh my God, the Eldar also make their way into it as well. So no, um, no. It, it, it is a, a whistle-stop tour of the entire 40K universe to a degree. But uh, I quite enjoyed it. So um, the
1: day saved by the squats?
0: <laughs> no, there, there are no squats. And of course, being a being no. a space marine or a drama, only the space marines can really, you know, Save the day. Save the day at the end of it as such. But
1: uh, it's only because the Zots weren't there. <laughs> uh,
0: no, I, I certainly recommend it. I think it, from memory it was in the sort of thirty to forty dollar range. For you know, and given you can pay thirty dollars for a two-hour DVD, uh, yeah, having an audio drama you know, it's not too bad. It's got number number of actors, it's got good production quality. Uh, yeah, so if you are thinking about getting into the um, the audiobook side, because so during the last uh, fortnight, I caught up with uh, in person with Cameron, who's one of the players in our um, uh, Dark Heresy game online. Because uh, he's up in Brisbane, I was up there for work, and so we, we met up there and sat down and had a chat about various 40k stuff, including the audio books. Because he's a big fan of Audible, and but had never actually given the audio the 40k books a, a listen. So I would say if you're thinking about checking out the audio books, because most of them, like in Australian dollars, cost twenty odd dollars for a, what's basically a 40 minute CD. Uh, but you can buy a lot of them much cheaper in MP3 format on the Black Library website or on the Workshop website so yeah, if you think about it do check them out because I, I quite enjoy them. they're good for me who doesn't get have chance to read much or when I do read it's usually role playing books yep. <laughs> rather than the story books or it's reading Thomas the Tank Engine to my children which is not fulfilling I can tell you now yeah, um, you
1: are fulfilled by Thomas the Tank
0: Engine <laughs> I'm not I'm sorry I'm not
1: deep down he's a Nurgle worshiper it's all good
0: <laughs> hey, the other day someone pointed me to a YouTube video where someone's uh, uh, put a mod in Skyrim that replaces all the dragons with Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's that's beside the point. Uh, yeah, so Transier Rebellion is what it's called. Um, it, it, I, I said there in my example, CZ Dunn, it's actually, each episode has a different writer. Yeah. So there's a number of, a lot of the major writers like um, Andy Smiley. Um, yeah, check it out. It's on the, on the Games Workshop website. Might have put a link to it in our show notes yeah. and go from there. All right, let's keep going. Yeah. Ignorance is a blessing. The data you requested, is available. So, for our final discussion, we're just tackling a, a user request from our last show, uh, user, or a listener request, which is a request to sort of go through the different economies of the of the five game systems, or six if you include the fact that Dark Heresy has a first and second edition.
1: Yeah,
0: talk about their considerations and uh, how they may interact with each other, or that sort of thing, as well. Or in a lot of cases, don't. So let's let's take it. Let's rewind all the way back through time to Dark Heresy First Edition. Yeah, and in this game system, they tried to actually have a currency, a universal currency, a universal currency, throne guilt in this case. And yeah, throne guilt was never established as a 40k currency. You know, it, it presumably it's a currency particular to the Calixa sector because other sectors have different measures of of, of value, basically, and. All the items in the books had, uh, along with their regular they did have availability as well, but they also had a uh, a cost factor. And of mm-hmm. course, trying to access certain items on certain worlds may, along with being difficult to do, may also impact their, their cost factor. And I really found, you know, when we were first running Dark Heresy, I really found the system quite cumbersome. Yes. Uh, and there's a couple of reasons for this. First thing is that It means you've got to make sure you track the character income. Because, yeah, every character has a starting value and a monthly income as such. Which means that you need to then uh, remember or work out when a month has passed. Decide when, you know, when when the payment will go. in. I, in my first edition Dark Heresy game, pretty much said it was a month between each adventure. So therefore, every new adventure starts off with one month's pay. Uh, That being said, your income was derived from your career. And your, and, and your level and your level and wasn't derived from the fact that you know so if you had a group of people all doing the same job for the Inquisition they would get different pays as such and you ended up with people that took like the noble background buying stuff for everybody in the game because they had you know easily the most money as such and it, it almost became like pooled resources but I quickly found in my Dark Heresy campaign that people just forgot about it and I forgot about it you know um, the other problem with having money in the game as a tangible source is the fact that if you haven't got enough of it, and you need, and you need some, you tend to then go and take them from other people. You know, uh, murder get That's it. Your, your character has no no fixed place to live and no possessions of their own, so they have to kill people and take theirs. Yeah, uh, and that's the thing. So, okay, I, I so build... all of
1: a sudden, characters are carrying around sixteen stub guns until they can find the next merchant to and sell, sell them,
0: them to. Yeah, or they go, look, I'm only ten credits short of the, the bolt pistol I really want. The next person I see, I'm going to bash them over the head, drain Rally, and rob them. Yeah, you know, and suddenly your game of you know heroic adventure becomes uh, a game of petty thievery. Yeah, <laughs> in order to pay for things. Uh, yeah, I mean, as- Ascension basically bought the concept of uh, using you know just your inquisitorial influence to acquire items to the game. And as soon as I had Ascension in my Dark Heresy campaign, I don't think I even wrote. I-, I I literally stopped writing people's money on their sheet. Yeah. Uh, because it was just so much easier than dealing with. You know, who could afford what, and people lending each other money, and that sort of stuff. It was just, it was just not a workable system. Uh, then you have Road Trader. And of course, Road Trader has your profit factor and your acquisition tests. And while the system, I think, is quite good, you've got to remember that it's also an abstract. So i run into problems with Road Trader with people that say, okay, well, this guy's not giving information. I want to slip him some money to try and convince him to, to talk. Because as a Road Trader, I should be able to slip him, you know, more money here than he will ever see in his lifetime and it shouldn't impact my coffers in the slightest. Yeah. Uh, And so, in which case, if you assume that everybody has a price, then nobody has secrets to a road trader.
1: Yeah. But it raises the problem of, well, what's the currency on this planet? Can I even get hold of the currency on this planet? Yeah. I mean, most people probably won't remember, but I remember Europe before everyone took on the euro... And it was a pain in the ass going into another country and having to change over whatever you had into whatever the hell the local currency was. And there were shady people hanging around willing to offer yeah. you better deals than what the banks would offer you. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, but it's illegal. So if I if I give this guy £50 pounds to get, you know, 7,000 check, you know, um, check whatever the hell it was. I don't even remember what their currency was at the time. Yeah. Are they a cop who's going to bust me? Yeah. Are they just going to take my money and leg it? <laughs> What's going to go on? Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can give them a gold cup, but to, to a peasant, what worth really
0: is it? Yeah, that? if a peasant turns up to the local market with a gold cup to flog it, the, the market seller's going to say, You stole this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> clearly you shouldn't have a gold cup. Yeah, exactly, because so, uh, yeah. the
1: main thing is the imperium everywhere is still a feudal society. Yeah. And that's what it comes
0: down to. Yeah. So. In which case, when it comes to those sort of interactions with a road trader character, it was really going to come down to making a social skill role rather than hand webbing it away with hard currency or, or treasure basically. Yeah. yeah. If you if if the GM wants to make it so the person actually tries to withhold information until they are successfully coaxed, it should be a, you know, a charm or a, you know, intimidate or something along those lines in order to actually make them and you can say that part of that charm test was you know, the greasing of palms with with uh, with coin, for example, yeah. or, or, or other items of tangible value. Uh, the other thing with Road Trader I found was that there's no clear indication... Okay, so I make a, I make an acquisition test, I fail. When can I try again?
1: Yeah, there's yeah. also no clear indication of how many acquisition rolls you can make in a game.
0: Yeah, how many does to make one, you know? It, like, it
1: does mention in the book in a couple of places, uh, for example, when you're repairing ship, it says specifically this... This role should not impact the number of acquisition roles you can make in a game. Okay.
0: What is that number?
1: What is that number? <laughs> How do I work that out?
0: Yeah. I mean I, I've usually said, yeah, with most road trade games of run off that each each person have an attempt per per session. Yeah,
1: I, I think one role per person plus one role for the ship. Yep. And if the per, if a person wants to use their role on the ship as well, that's fine.
0: Yep. But I think you know, that's if, fair. If a person, often I found a situation where a person ended up not really wanting anything else, so I was happy for them to, to use their role to try and get something for someone. Something for their yeah. and, and remember, the Rogue trader, it's not the character actually going out there and trying to acquire it. You know, it is the you know, the character sends peons off there to go and try and find yeah whatever it is they're looking for as well.
1: Exactly. I mean, the rogue trader isn't going down to the market and sitting down and going, "Okay, we want fifteen hundred las guns." Yeah.
0: I want a lasgun. That'll be thirty-five throwing guilt. How much for ten thousand? Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. That's dude. it. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's a, it's a it's a narrative concept more so than a rule system. So, use it as such. You know, but you want to make sure that in these sort of games that the people aren't just thinking that the best way for me to get gear is to kill other people and take their stuff. Yeah, because the I've read a lot of 40k books I have listened to a lot of 40k audio dramas I've played a lot of 40k games and unless a person is actually looking for an item from somebody nobody loses the corpses you know I mean you could say the same thing for like something like Star Wars yeah. nobody stops to pick up the stormtroopers you know um, blasters and utility belts and uh, uh, strip them of their armour to go and sell I have
1: it. to kind of disagree yeah the original Star Wars, Luke and Han Solo seem to wander around in stormtrooper armor with utility belts and blaster rifles quite a bit.
0: Yeah, well, that being said, there was a re- there was a narrative reason for that. You know, it yeah. was it was a disguise. It wasn't. And this... when they
1: ditched the armor, they kept the belts and the guns. Yeah. They didn't ditch them as well. that's
0: true, and they weren't wearing them in Empire Strikes Back, so we can only assume that they took them to the local shops and sold them. Right? Of course. Yeah.
1: <laughs> How do you think Luke afforded that hand at the end? of... That's like ten grand. <laughs> Okay. So, some farm boy doesn't have ten grand just sitting around. Hero of the rebellion or not?
0: <laughs> okay, <laughs> now let's talk about uh t- Death Watch. So, Death Watch has your um, uh, your, your mission score basically, uh, and uh, you also have your renown, which affects what items you can get. Yeah, this is really more of a, a group resource situation. It's not really based upon be- doing roles to try and convince people. It's simply that we have this pool of resources that can be used to bring in the items that we are uh, allowed for this mission. It reminds me of... Did you ever play Spycraft, the D20 yes. Spycraft game? I actually do you, do you really re- liked... To do you remember them. the acquisition system in that at all? Yeah. Yeah, so in that particular game, based upon your your class, you got certain acquisition items per game session. So, for example, say you were playing a wheelman, which was a driver. You might get, say, two vehicle, one weapon, and a utility. And then the person playing the hacker might get, like, 3 electronics uh, and 2 utility and that sort of stuff and then once you're actually ready for your mission you would add up okay what's the entire group got okay we've got 6 vehicle 4 weapon 12 utility etc um, etc et and then you would go through the list of items and say okay we want this we want this and it was a, a really fun planning stage for the game I can see the same thing being done in on a much smaller scale in uh, Death Watch because you only have a quite a limited pool of resources but it comes down to saying at the start this we know this is what we want to achieve this is how we want to achieve it what is the best gear you know to help us help us actually deliver that 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 outcome as such yeah and then do we want to have extra gear for unforeseen circumstances um yeah i I think that's the the best way to to do a death watch game yeah and and i I
1: think death watch also had built in protection measures against the murder hobo that yeah. really speaking space marines had better weapons than anyone they would kill, Yeah. except other space marines which are generally speaking chaos worshippers, which they wouldn't touch their gear anyway because yeah. it's corrupted. That's right,
0: the only thing they should be looting is the progenoids from their fallen brothers Exactly <laughs> That's it. Uh, Maybe maybe spare ammunition if they run out <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in which case they, they weren't rolling very well <laughs> like they, they missed a lot um, So that was a straightforward one Okay, on a Black Crusade, so here you have your Infamy, which is functionally the same as Profit Factor in, uh, in Road Trader, only it is particular to the character, not a group one. Once again, no clear indication as to how many times a person can attempt to try and retry to, roll the infamy to acquire an item. Yep. And, I mean...
1: I always found when we played Black Crusade that there was the inherent problem that people would say, okay, well, how are you paying for that? And you're like, well, I'm using my Infamy. Yeah. I'm telling them that if they don't pay me, do they know who I am? I will rip their soul from their body and they will wish that they had simply given it to me out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. Um, but a lot of GMs are still like, well, you still need to pay for it. Yeah. No, I'm a chaos worshiper. I don't pay for it. That's the whole point. Yeah. And that was always something which kept coming up in all the games of Black Crusade we ran. Yeah. Or played
0: in. I mean, look, there are, if you read the fluff in the Black Crusade books, there are known currencies in the, the, the Spring Vortex, v- you know, like for, like souls yeah. are literally one of them, you know, you, people can actually claim souls and, and will actually trade and barter for this sort of stuff. Now, you don't want to have to tr- record, okay, my character has 35 souls yeah. and 16 lesser souls you know and the, the flayed city. skins of <laughs> 1500
1: slaves yeah that's
0: so, right yeah and this and this guy wants 1600 flayed skins i don't have the extra 100 what can kind of, what, what's worth 100 flayed skins you know it's not fun you know? yeah so but you know the infamy test could include the fact that your character if you want to add more narrative scope to it, it could include the fact that your character has uh, acquired items of value cool. and that item of value which is nebulous to the character it's not in, not important written on the character sheet Plus their reputation alone, you know, it delivers them what they're actually uh, what it is they desire. Yeah, uh, and then it just comes down to once again the GM deciding, okay, what are the limitations of how often people can make roles? You know, what are the what are the repercussions for failure? You know, in rogue trade, if you fail the role, you just simply can't. Your people simply couldn't find what it is you're them to get. But maybe yeah, I, maybe, I
1: think for Black Crusade, you need to create some sort of system for what happens if you fail badly yeah
0: because at the end of the day you are buying your reputation and, and, and there we, is
1: someone who goes you're not worthy of having this <laughs>
0: that's going to look poorly in, in which case so or it could be just that the object isn't on that planet yeah but I mean yeah you know, here's the situation we have a scene where you know a a seller has an item that the character deserves or sorry, desires the character the player says okay I'm going to use him maybe me to acquire that so you know you have you play out the scene where they say we're going to say you know have you heard of I'm I'm you know, whoever grabs not the the uh the mighty and and I want that and you know, so then negotiate and you make every test and you fail. And the player says, Okay, I shoot him and take it. That's fine. Yeah.
1: But you've also got the option of the GM as saying, I can't give you that. It's already promised to the mighty warlord Zug who is yeah. coming here and <laughs> will pick it up in three days. Yeah. Sure you can shoot him and take it, but that means Zug is gonna turn up and go.
0: Where's my Terminator armour? That's it. I, I, I guess that that's the way around it, is to put repercussions for... I mean, at the end of the day, if, if they're, if you, if, as long as the Heretic or Chaos Space Marine can physically see the armour they want, there is a way for them to obtain it. Yes. It's whether or not they obtain it with with, with or without consequence, I guess, is what really matters. Yeah. So I mean, even with, if
1: you pass the role, there may still will be consequences that... The seller may end up saying, well, you have to say a prayer to me to the chaos gods on this shrine world. That is the requirement of me selling this to you. And if they refuse to do that, the gods may take notice that you have promised to do something and then chosen not to. Sometimes the gods don't care if you make promises and break them. Sometimes they do. That is why they are bastards.
0: (laughs) Speaking of bastards... Only war is just like the death watch system but for jerks yes uh, because pretty much you have a, um, a logistics score which is not a it's not a fixed resource like it is in uh, in death watch but you use your logistics score to try and acquire the mission gear that you feel you need and because there's a role involved you may get the stuff that you didn't want or that's completely useless or in the case of our game where you know you're sent to bring down a siege wall and they give you a crack grenade. Yes. You know, when you've asked for a melting bomb and you go like, okay, well, I guess we need to try and source munitions locally. Uh, you know, which is funny. The first two, three times it happens, but I'm sure the fourth time or beyond that you order the gear you need for the mission and you get a crate of soiled uniforms, the character, the players is going to go, come on, this is just getting, this is, this is no longer fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I Why I,
1: bother I, even requesting
0: gear? Yeah, that's into- right. Like when I first saw the Only Wars I was like, oh, this is awesome. This is great. Then I sort of th- thought, okay, well, yeah, this can get old. This can get old quickly. So, yeah. uh especially because, you know, you sit and you plan out, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Okay, and what we need is this. And we got something useless. You know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, and what's the way around that then? You know, do you... um Okay. One one thing I've seen people do for this sort of stuff in the past is every time you fail a role for some sort of acquisition like this, that the next attempt on that gets a bonus. Yeah. So that, you know, you, you, you have a limited number of failures before you're guaranteed success, and then you go back to the, the chance of failure again. Because uh, it means that you're never, you're never beating your head against the same wall consistently. Eventually, eventually, eventually gets, you're having your way through. Yeah,
1: the, the other major problem I always had with the the whole requisition system in Only War was, it was really, really difficult for a guardsman to get a permanent piece of kit. Yeah. If I want to upgrade my sword to a good quality sword, it's almost impossible.
0: Yeah, because it's not my kit. It's the, it's the guards' kit, you know. Yeah. That's it. So... But
1: over the course of a, a guardsman's history and career, especially if he's very good, yeah. he should be able to get something decent.
0: You know. Well, he needs to pick it up off a corpse in the battlefield and then hide it because, you know, the the Imperial Infantry Prime it basically says that all dead soldiers will return with their full kit to be redistributed by the that, that's Department fine. of Unitorium. I
1: get my arm blown off yeah. and I put in a requisition for Bionic arm and I fail.
0: Yeah.
1: Are they really trying to tell me that the Guardsmen send one-armed soldiers <laughs> into battle as a matter of course?
0: Oh, I'd say they probably put them up the front in like a sort of a, 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 a suicide unit to soak up the enemy attack
1: yeah it's it just <laughs> you know how many times are they going to keep sending you back to the front with no legs
0: yes <laughs> you've watched Starship Troopers yeah yeah <laughs> the man today. yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I guess that's a consideration is you've got to work out yeah, sure that there is good comedy value in the only war system but just be careful it doesn't get old find ways to make sure the play I mean look hopefully they roll well at some point anyway you know the logistics score will go up over time so yeah, And that brings us back to Dark Heresy 2nd Edition now, uh, which has the influence system, which is highly derivative of, you know, the Infamy, slash, right, exactly. Yeah. Once again, it is per-character-based. The only dif-
1: the major difference is it's much harder to get anything. Yes. Which I think is actually, is a little too hard to get some things. Yeah. Like, you know, I want to get a set of filter plugs. They're apparently so common that every single Hiver has them, yet I cannot buy them.
0: Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. So this is why in my... Uh, so if, if anyone follows my Dark Heresy game online, yep. will find that the way I've chosen to deal with this in my game is I actually allow players to make up to three rolls per session because most stuff you're acquiring is pretty bland stuff. You know, uh, And what I say is you can either make three rolls at the base chance or you can make two rolls, one at plus 10, one at plus zero, or you can make a single roll at plus 20. So that allows the characters to say, well, look, I really, really want this. I want to increase my chance to gain that by 20%, yeah. so I'm going to focus on that for this particular session.
1: Yeah, and I think you really do have to have some sort of system in place for this. Yeah. Even if it's the Inquisitor at the end of a successful campaign arc saying, congratulations team, you've done a really good job, you can use my influence to purchase an item.
0: Yeah. Okay, Mark, here's something that you do in any of these games when you play, I've noticed, and I do it too, is you sit down before the game and you've made your character and you go through all the books and work out the gear that's good and you go and work out all these gear items. What is the actual test required? And any time it comes up to a question of, well, does anyone want to make an infamy slash acquisition slash influence test? Do, do you, you know you, why you look, I do you, that? You, sorry? Yeah?
1: Because I hate running a game and everyone sits there and they go, oh, what are we going to buy? Yeah, and suddenly 45 minutes at the start yeah, you of your got... game is spent with people shuffling books around going, do I want to buy this? I don't know. And then at the end of it, only two people have actually ended up purchasing everything. And everyone else has gone, nah, we'll be all right. And then halfway through the game, they go, oh, I should have bought this. Is it okay if I make the roll to buy this now?
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I, I could tell you my, my horror stories from running um, third D&D. Oh. With a friend who would, who would just spend the entire session looking through the uh, magical item things, saying, oh, you know, I should totally make this because he bought the magic item. Manufacturing feats, as such, you know, so yeah. oh. and we end up so many levels behind the rest of the group because we're spending all those XP making items, yeah. Um, but getting back to the point, the event there's, there's two things, there's two advantages to these players running down the stuff they want to get and making out of the difficulty. One, it, as you say, there it really streamlines running the, the game, running the game in terms of the, the shopping experience. The other thing is that if you like, if you want to be a nice gym, if players are struggling to get gear, is you can put the grab the sheets and look at them and then go, okay, well, this person. Really, really wants a good quality bolt pistol, so I'm going to give a bad guy coming up a good quality bolt pistol, and you know they might have failed to get the thing three or four times, but you know there's now an opportunity to to get the thing off, yeah, off, off, pry it it from his cold dead hands, you know. Yeah, I mean, one of the jokes I made in the uh, uh, our online game is the fact that there was a a particular combat. uh, This is the session you weren't at where they were taking the, the combat took place on like an elevator platform. Um, and people worked out the fastest way to kill the bad guys was to throw them off throw them off you know, bodily, bodily push them off the edge and of course when they sort of came to looting the bodies I was like well there's a lot less loot than you expected <laughs> because most of the loot is you know 50 stories down <laughs> smeared all over the floor <laughs> that's it yeah, yeah. Um, but you know I guess it's the it was cinematically better you know yeah. it's like you don't see the player going no no don't throw off the edge I want his stuff <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you do, but only in Monty Python movies.
0: That's so, it, yeah. And there's a fair amount of hubris there when you, start, when you negotiate over the guy's stuff while he's still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's demoralising for the guy you're fighting against as well. Or maybe emboldening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of how these systems go together, they don't. Yeah. Uh, if you were running a mixed...
1: we We found that, actually, when you ran your your Dark Heresy game and there was a rogue trader in the group and a marine Yeah. none of it worked together
0: yeah that's it the
1: marine ended up getting absolutely nothing yeah because it was almost impossible to get anything for him yeah for one marine yeah and the rogue trader just had everything he wanted
0: yeah yeah that's you know, the only the only way you can represent it in a realistic format is to basically just have each character acquire using the tools that come from their system. Uh, and then you can have that imbalance then basically yeah, yeah. Um, and the only way to deal with that is for the characters that have a better chance to try and acquire things for the characters that have a worse chance yeah. uh, but there's no real way to mix the systems properly anyway so
1: not really no, yeah. no. from a narrative point of view I suppose there's not really a lot you can do either. I yeah. suppose that there's no way as a GM to stop it from happening. The rogue traders will be buying the stuff for everyone else. Yeah. Because they've got the best chance out of all of the systems.
0: Which is funny. Like, So I'm the sort of person... I actually, I actually like encumbrance rules, for example. So do I. Um, you know, I, I, I like the concept of you've got your character... And your character actually has lots of possessions. They, they've probably got ten different weapons... They've got four or five different sets of armour. You know, they've got various tools and utilities, but at the start of the mission they sit in and go, Well They I mean, walk I... into
1: their room and they look at the wall of weapons <laughs> and they go, What am I gonna take with me? Yeah. Yeah, I like that idea as well. But yeah.
0: I mean I, but I found that in my Dark Heresy campaign was that we had players that had, you know, six or seven weapons, and it just had all six or seven weapons in their sheet, and it was just okay, I five okay, my bolt pistol's out, I drop that upon my a pistol. Oh, it's out, i pull out my melter gun. Oh, I'm out, okay, I pull out my Heavy bolter. It's like, yeah, where, are you, where are you carrying all this? <laughs> yeah, I've got no
1: problem with someone carrying all that stuff if yeah. they can explain where they're carrying. It. If yeah. they say, "Okay, I've got plasma pistol on one hip, bolt pistol on another hip, and another pistol in the small of my back," okay, fine.
0: That is that is a uh, a, a road to trouble. Mike and, and I will tell you going all the way back to once again third air D anD. d I remember very early on with a friend of ours, uh, there was a big fight with lots of low level mooks who all had plus one long swords in a game where the group now had... We're, like, in the plus four range, and, you know, plus four uh, frost weapons, that sort of stuff, etc. And he's like, oh, well, each of those plus one long swords is worth, you know, a thousand gold uh, secondhand. So I pick them up. I'm like, there's 20 of them. So like, yeah, I can carry 20 longswords. Like, okay, where are you carrying them? And so the player sat there, drew a stick figure character, and then drew, like, where every single longsword sword was sitting. So... <laughs> <laughs> I I like to laugh,
1: but you know what? I was playing in a Dark Sun game with a GM who was particularly stingy. We're talking about we were ninth level characters, and the best weapon anyone had was a plus 2 bone dagger. (laughs) Okay, and he's running this pre-written module, and we went into a fight, and we fought against this group of 5 guys. No, sorry, 15 Githka, or whatever the hell they are. And they all had a plus 1 weapon. So we looted all of them, yeah. 15 of these bloody halberds. Yeah. And we ended up carrying them in a sack between us. And at the start of every fight, we'd put down the sack and then get into combat.
0: Yeah, well, okay. Let's talk simulations for a moment. There's a game system that you and I both quite like, which is uh, Twilight 2013. Yeah. Which is a very simulationist combat experience. And one of the things there is that it works out what your character's capa- carrying capacity is. And certainly a character can carry and walk with a much heavier load than they can effectively fight with. So, you know, for the simulations in this, you get to actually work out, okay, what of my gear is in my backpack? What of my gear is in my you know, LBE? What of my gear is in my pockets? And at the start of combat, my first action is to unclip my backpack and drop it to the ground so I can actually get into a fight Get into a fight without, With, without carrying around a, a hiking sack on my back.
1: Yeah, which sounds great <laughs> until you actually have to run away from a fight. Because in that system, yeah. running away from a fight is a lot more common than yeah. any other system I've ever played. Yeah,
0: that's right. Or the moment you fall into water, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, okay, well, I've got to kiss all this gear goodbye or else I'm going to drown. Yeah. So you know, a lot more realistic, but some people find realistic not fun. Yeah, yeah. It, it comes, I
1: mean, it will come down out. to your group as well, and all of these gear gathering systems, yeah. for lack of a better term, all these economic systems are going to rely a lot on your group
0: as well. And this is yeah, this is the other problem I was going to mention too is the fact that when it comes to systems like encumbrance, the way gear is handled, if you've got players that want you've got players that want the gamut from fully simulationist to you know free and loose, it's really hard to mix that. You've pretty much got to go for the lowest. Common denominator, yeah. Because you know the players that are tracking their encumbrance and everything are going to get keeping
1: shit. track of every single bullet.
0: Yeah, they're going to get annoyed when people, um, you know, just just freaking loose yeah. it in the in the same. Let,
1: let rip with the fifteenth uh, melter gun shot. Yeah, so fifteenth inferno oh, pistol shot without ever reloading.
0: I'm a I'm a jerk of a GM. The amount of games where I've sat there and like secretly n- marked off shots in my on my paper to paper, and then the player goes, "I shoot him." I go, "Your gun goes, click." because <laughs> you weren't counting your rounds yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> well in all the excitement I lost track myself was it five or was it six shots
0: <laughs> and then you go yeah say well you know but does my auto pistol this is a slide lock back after the last round I should be able to I, my characters should know when the last round has come out you know
1: how the hell would you know <laughs> that the hydrogen fuel, which is lighter than air, is all used up in your plasma.
0: Well, because it gets heavier. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's how compressed gases work, right? <laughs> Yes, of course, of course, that's how it works. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if it really helped with that particular discussion, but it's... I well,
1: say, I suppose there's some stuff in there people might be
0: able to take from. hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, then. Let's get on to maybe finishing off the show. All astropaths in the choir chamber, message incoming. Alright, so at this point in the show, we go through any sort of new reviews or or listen to feedback that we've had, and uh, okay, so there's two things. First off, um, Maziah side, uh, aka Sean, uh, so the former editor of uh, the Dark Rain website, uh, got in contact with us again this week, and he's uh, offered to help us get our website, our our hacked website up and running again, so really appreciate Sean's offer of help on that, and uh, I'm going to give him the details this weekend and say, have at it, you know, because everything he's done... From, you know, from the Dark Reign site to what he's contributed to the FFG forums to his online Dark Heresy campaign has always been such high quality, Yeah. Yeah. You know, in terms of the production of it as well, yeah, so... I'm, I'm,
1: I'm pretty certain it's going to look great. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> A lot right. better than either of us could yeah, do.
0: And yeah, and I, I, I probably should tell him as well that I used some of his shit pictures from when I ran the game at um, Game in the year as well, but, uh... Yeah. Anyway, I also got an email from, uh, Samuel, uh, just today, actually, and, um yeah two things to say first off was that uh, inspired by the podcast, he's decided to run um, an only war campaign and you know it sounds like that's actually going really well so he said for example that he's got a trooper who's secret member of a death cult his sergeant was shot for cowardice, he said a death in the group from medical malpractice, you know you know ignorance all around so I'm glad you know that he's certainly enjoying that I, uh, you know it's always nice to hear the people are getting these games up and running again, yeah yeah you know, especially under the current circumstances. He's also asked whether we'd consider um, putting up uh, actual play recordings of our Road Trader games. I'm pretty certain the answer that's no. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to record our online games. Uh, That's pretty easy. But, I mean, I can tell you now that we got together to play Road Trader the other night. And I think we were sort of ready to start playing by about... Eight. Eight. And we we, we finished playing about 11. And we probably got an hour 40 solid playing in there. Yeah. You know, because there was a lot of digression lot. Um, yeah, it, it's...
1: To the point that one of the players got nicknamed... Uh, what was it? Um,
0: Derailler 2000. Yeah, tra- Derailatron 2000. That's yeah, right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For derailing the game in the pot. Uh, so... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's...
1: And I'm pretty certain that there are certain people who wouldn't want to have their voices recorded. My well. wife, for
0: one. Yes. Yeah, that's it. You're, you're not that comfortable anyway. Huh? You're not that comfortable having your voice recorded, despite oh. the fact you have now 74% doing a podcast. I don't care anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, you're over it now? I'm over it You, now, just, don't yeah. like, you just don't like listening to your own voice. That's yeah. all it is, yeah. That's okay, it. I never listen
1: to the podcast anyway. Exactly. You probably edit most of my stuff out. No, that's no, no, all in there. Every, every mistake. Every, <laughs> every mistake. Well, <laughs> no, that's right. You only edit your own mistakes exactly,
0: out. Yeah, right, of yeah. course. Right. Uh, yeah, so I appreciate the the request, I guess, but it's, you know,
1: we're going to have some
0: private games. You know, so. <laughs> uh, but no, once again, glad, glad that you enjoy the show and glad that it's inspired you to do some more playing as well. Uh, if you do want to contact us, you can do throw us through our website, which will hopefully look a lot better very soon yep. www.grim.podcast.com our Facebook page is facebook.com slash podcast. our Google Plus page is plus.google.com slash plus sign grimdartpodcast we tweet through at grimdartpodcast and I've been tweeting a bit more recently as well uh, you can email us show at uh, that's it for the moment while everything else is down yep uh, so episode 75 will be coming up soonish uh, it'll be only war uh, we'll introduce our own only war campaigns as well start talking yes. about our campaign there and we are covering the Drop Trooper Regiment too, and uh, we'll also work out a review and other stuff to chat about at the time too. So, okay. Hope you enjoy the show, uh, Mike. Thanks for participating once again, Thank as you always. Very much. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next time. This podcast is not endorsed by you or affiliated with Games Workshop or Fantasy podcasts Games. Warhammer 40,000, Dark Heresy, Rogue Trader, Death Watch, Black Crusade, Only War, Eternal Crusade, and all associated properties are trademark and or copyright of Games Workshop Limited. Fantasy Flight Games is a trademark of Fantasy Flight Publishing Inc. All other materials are trademarked and or copyright of their respective owners. All original content is copyright of the Grimdark Podcast. All rights are reserved by their respective owners. Our theme music comes from MBOS Media Gallery, music.mebio.com